what if, what would you say if I told you that uh, hearing a sermon is one of the most dangerous things you could do? I heard a giggle immediately, right? You'd probably say that sounds like a, a preacher's way of making his job sound a lot more exciting than it really is, right? Um, it's really not that dangerous if you compare it to like skydiving or anything like that. But Jesus actually tells us that hearing a sermon, hearing truth, hearing wisdom is one of the most dangerous things that we can do. And he tells us that in Matthew 7. These words are on the screen. We'll look at this for a moment before we jump into Proverbs 1. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because... It had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, when you listen to a sermon, if the preacher is doing his job job properly, you're not hearing just mere opinions of man. You're not hearing just a, a, a polished or eloquent speech. You are hearing the word of God opened and explained. Or to put it in the context of Proverbs, you're hearing the wisdom of God. And Jesus tells us that's dangerous business because you can hear in one of two ways, right? You can hear in such a way that grips your heart and leads you to understand God's truth and actually changes the way you live your life. You take it and you obey it. And Jesus says that in doing this, you are building your life on the solid foundation of him, on the rock. And so as you leave the comforts of Sunday morning worship, it's pretty comfortable in here this morning. The air is blowing, right? It's easy to talk about the things of God. But as you leave and you go out into the world, you're not shaken by the trials of life. And what you hear doesn't just stay here, right? But you can also hear in another way that Jesus warns against. You can come and listen and maybe even nod your head in agreement. Oh, that was good. You may even be affected in some way. Like, man, I know that's true for me. But then you walk out those doors and you go about business as usual. You don't don't reflect on God's wisdom in such a way that it it goes into your mind and down into your, your heart and out into your life. You don't obey it. And Jesus In giving us this metaphor in Matthew 7, it's really a startling picture here. He's saying that person is like the one who builds a house on the sand and there's no foundation. So what happens when the storm comes? It's not just difficult. Jesus says there's destruction when the inevitable trials of life come. Or, as we'll talk about in a moment, that final day when you stand before God. He says your life will fall in a great way. And what's so dangerous about this kind of hearing, the hearing that doesn't lead to any real change, is that we really don't notice it until it's too late, right? That's why Jesus, uh, that's what Jesus is telling us with this illustration. The houses look the same. They look fine until the storm comes, until it's too late. 
And this is why Jesus repeats a phrase throughout the gospel over and over again. He says, whoever has an ear, let him hear. He's not saying just listen physically. He's saying, no, I know you hear what I'm saying with physical ears, but do you hear in such a way that you take it to heart and it transforms your life? And as we look at Proverbs 1, uh, verses 20 through 33 this morning, the purpose is to warn us against that dangerous kind of hearing. Do we merely nod our heads in agreement at religious truth without any real lasting life change? Sort of hearing but not really hearing, building our lives upon the sinking sands of foolishness? Or do we cling to God's truth in such a way that leads us to turn and follow Him? That's what it means to build our lives on the firm foundation of God's wisdom. That's what it means to be wise. Now, just by way of reminder, so far in chapter 1, We've been introduced to the book of Proverbs in verses 1 through 7, where we learn that the fear of God, the reverential awe of Him, is the beginning of true knowledge and wisdom. Then last week, verses 8 through 19, Pastor Clint showed us this parental warning from a father to a son not to be enticed by sin, not to be led astray by the sinful counterfeit community. And in our passage this morning, we're introduced to another character. So we move sort of from the father to the son, and now we're introduced to Lady Wisdom, this metaphorical character in Proverbs, primarily in chapter 1, and then later on in chapters 8 and 9, who's warning us against ignoring God's wisdom. And, and we'll hear her message in three parts. We'll hear the call of Lady Wisdom, the call of wisdom, verses 20 through 22, the rejection of the fool in verses 24 through 32, and then the blessing of repentance in verses 23 and 33. So let's jump in. First, as we look at verse 20, we see the call of wisdom. What does verse 20 say? Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. This is a poetic way. Wisdom is personified as a woman who is speaking the truths of God to those who have yet to accept them. Now there's also another personification in the book of Proverbs that we won't get to this summer, but you'll see if you read through another lady, and that is the lady adulteress in chapter 7. And the adulteress represents the allurement and enticement of foolishness and sin that we, we saw a glimpse of last week. and We see it throughout the book. While Lady Wisdom represents the wisdom of God. And it's, it's interesting to note that if you were to go read chapter 7, you'd see that Lady, uh, the adulteress, speaks in secret. She speaks really quietly. She's whispering to the young man. She's trying to, to draw us out into sin. She's trying to entice. Right? That's what sin does. It's not that big of a deal if you follow me. If you pursue foolishness, in fact, you'll enjoy it. You're actually missing out on real pleasure by following God's wisdom. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, that should sound familiar, right? That's that's the same way the enemy speaks to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. You're actually missing out on real pleasure. So the serpent comes and quietly sort of whispers and tries to allure, right? That's Lady Adultery, but, but notice... That Lady Wisdom here is doing the complete opposite. She's not sneaking around. She's not hiding out, trying to entice or or draw people. What is she doing? She's crying aloud, verse 20. 
Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And what Lady Wisdom is showing us here is that God has a great concern for the foolish. If he didn't, he wouldn't be crying out to them. God is patient. As we read chapter 1, we get this idea that this call to wisdom has become more and more serious as time goes on. And In last week's passage, in verses 8 and 9, we see the father warning the child not to forsake wisdom. But what if the child does ignore the father? What if the child does reject wisdom and goes about life and leaves the home? Well, here Lady Wisdom is crying out. It's as if she's saying, there's still time. Don't ignore the wisdom of God. Essentially, Lady Wisdom here is a street preacher, right? Now, this, this would have been more common in ancient times. This would have been sort of you know, as strange as it is for us today. And by the way, as a side note, the application of the sermon is not, let's go out and street preach. Maybe the Lord's calling you to do that. Okay, we can talk later, but that's not the point here. But there were no news outlets like we have them today. There was no Twitter to find out what was going on. So if there was news, there was something important to be said, it was common to go out in areas where people gathered and to announce it. But notice, this is, this is much more than just an announcement of news. She is urgent in her call. She is earnest as she cries out. Maybe a modern day example. Imagine you're driving on a dark road at night and suddenly you're stopped by a woman on the side of the road who's waving her hands frantically. And you stop and, and you roll down your window and she's desperate and she's emotional and she's saying, listen, the bridge up ahead is out. And if you continue driving, it's dark, you will not see it. It will come upon you suddenly, and you will die. And many people have ignored me. They think I'm crazy as I'm here standing on the side of the road. But I'm trying to let you know that if you continue on in this way, there will be destruction. That's what Lady Wisdom is doing here. She's earnestly and urgently calling out. And notice where she's doing this, verse 20. She's doing this in the streets. And the the setting here signifies that wisdom is for the public, right? Last week, verses 8 and 9, a father and mother are talking to their child. Wisdom is for the home. Now we see that wisdom is for the streets, but not just the streets. She goes on in verse 20, in the markets. This would have been the plaza where business was conducted, oftentimes in ancient cities, just inside the city gates. But not just in the markets, Not just in the business realm, but at the gates of the city, at the entrance of the city, verse 21. There were were gates outside of Jerusalem as you entered into the city. And there were these chambers, and that's where elders would meet and discuss and argue. And decisions were to be made. This is sort of the political sphere. And if you put verses 20 and 21 together, you put the streets, the marketplace, and the entrance of the city together, you see what God is telling us here. Where's the appropriate place for the wisdom of God? It's everywhere. It's not just for this space on a Sunday morning. As theologian Abraham Kuyper has famously said, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And this is an example of that. God is telling us, listen, my wisdom 
cannot be compartmentalized in your life. That's what Solomon is telling us here. Saying God's wisdom can't be contained in just, just a weekly meeting time of the church. It can't just be kept in the privacy of our homes. It's for the world. It's for the public square. It's for the workplace. It's for everyday life. And this also means, if that's true, that the work of spreading the wisdom of God is not primarily done by a few professional Christians who are pastors and preachers. How does God's wisdom get out there? Notice there's no mention of the temple in this passage. That doesn't mean that the wisdom of God is not in the temple. That just means that's a given. Right? Where the people of God come to worship God, the wisdom of God is there. The same is true in a, the church gathering. It is obvious, it should be, that when we come here, we open the word to hear the wisdom of God. But what Lady Wisdom is pressing here is that it's not to remain there. And if it remains here, if the wisdom of God remains here for you, but doesn't make it home, but doesn't make it in the workplace, but doesn't make it in how you engage in the political sphere, whatever it looks like, then you're not hearing it properly. And so she's crying aloud. And so this leads us to ask, am I the voice of godly wisdom in my spheres of influence? Ask yourself that question. As you grow in wisdom in the five major categories that we saw a few weeks ago, we see it all throughout Proverbs. As you grow in practical wisdom, in moral wisdom, as you grow in intellectual wisdom, in decision-making, in discernment, this doesn't happen just in this room for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. It happens as you take these truths and as you face the challenges of life at home, as you face the challenges of life in the workplace and of relationships, that's where the truth of God that you hear is then forged into the wisdom of God in real life. Now, who is her audience? We know where wisdom is speaking, but who is her audience? Verse 22, she tells us who she's talking to. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Notice three groups of people here. The simple ones, the scoffers, and the fools. This word for simple ones um, speaks of one who's easily enticed to anything. We might use the word gullible. Or Proverbs 14, 15 summarizes it as one who believes everything. Or in chapter 7, one who is easily led astray. The mind is so open that it never closes. This is someone who deliberately chooses to be simple-minded. They refuse to think deeply about life, about God, about what it would look like to follow Him. And they are, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, it's important to note here that um, simple ones doesn't refer to those who are incapable of knowing, those who are incapable of growing beyond simple thinking. So, for example, not a toddler who's not able to comprehend the things of God yet, or those who have uh, mental disabilities, or those who have lost the capacity to know. The simple one here is one, those who have both the capacity and the opportunity to grow in wisdom and knowledge of God, but they just refuse. They're just indifferent. Therefore, their lives are unaffected by the truth of God. To be simple is to say, God, you're, just, you're really just not worth my time and effort of growing in godliness. 
And to them, Lady Wisdom calls out and says, how long will you continue in this indifference to God's truth? She forces us to ask ourselves, is is this me? Am am I a simple one? Do you find yourself to be so open-minded that you barely have convictions about anything, which can be seen as a virtue in our culture? Are you easily influenced by others? Would you much rather just follow the crowd instead of thinking deeply about the truth? Now listen, don't confuse this here. Lady Wisdom isn't saying you have to be an intellectual. But she is confronting us and saying, are we intellectually lazy with the knowledge of God? Are we simple? The opposite of being simple is to have an ongoing hunger for God. To desire Him. Do you have a hunger for knowing God? Listen, not just knowing about Him. Intellectualism will get you that. There's a difference. To know someone is not the same as knowing about someone and having a meaningful relationship with them, right? You can listen to great sermons. You can read great books. You can gain a lot of knowledge about God without actually knowing Him, and as Proverbs 1-7 says, fearing Him, which is the beginning of true knowledge, revering Him above all, worshiping Him for who He really is. And so this call to the simple ones is a, a call to us. Don't be content with this sort of thin religiosity that may make us feel good, but never changes the way we live. We should hunger to know him. But she doesn't just call out to the simple ones, she also calls out to the scoffer. This is a word that's used 17 times in Proverbs, and it would be a step further than the simple ones. The scoffer is, is defiant and cynical against God's truth, not just indifferent, but opposed to it. If the simple one's too open minded, the scoffer would be too closed minded. If the simple one is willingly ignorant, the scoffer's primary problem would be arrogance. The scoffer has great contempt for God and for those who follow him. Maybe you've heard someone respond in, in, a, in a scoffing way as you talk about Christianity. Really? You, you believe this Jesus stuff? That's silly. Or maybe you've heard the arguments of militant atheists who don't just disbelieve in God, but they make it their agenda to mock those who do. They're almost evangelists for atheism. So to scoff at God is to say, God, if you're, if you're even there, I know better than you do. And Lady Wisdom tells us they don't just scoff, they delight in their scoffing. Meaning they're not searching for truth. They're not humbly wanting to know God. They actually enjoy unbelief. They enjoy mocking God and those who follow Him. Yet, and here's the amazing thing about this passage. God hasn't given up on the scoffers, right? Because what is Lady Wisdom doing? She's going to them and pleading with them to turn. She's offering a chance to repent and turn from their reproof. Now, anytime we see these things in the Bible, it's easy to to think of a person out there who fits that descriptor. But... We also have to turn that question inward. In what ways are we scoffers? You might say, well, I'm not a scoffer. After all, I am at a worship gathering on a Sunday morning hearing a sermon. So chances are you probably aren't a militant atheist. But at the same time, all of us have tendencies in our hearts to scoff at the things of God. Ask yourself these questions. 
Do you think you know better than God in situations in your life? Right? Are you, you might not be shaking your fists at the heavens as you read God's word, but do you look at others and sort of roll your eyes in cynicism when someone does something you think is foolish? Are you, are you just negative all the time? A negative Nancy or a negative Nate, right? Is that your tendency? Ask friends these questions. Are you the kind of person who always has to be right? And it's easy to dismiss people who you think are not as smart as you. Chances are, if that's you, then you are scoffing at those made in the image of God. And Lady Wisdom calls us to repent. The opposite of scoffing is humility. Humbling ourselves before the presence of God. And for those of us who, who know people who may be strongly opposed to the truth of God's word, listen, don't write them off. Don't write those kind of people off as if they're too far gone for Jesus. Because Lady Wisdom is here pleading with them to repent. It shows the great compassion of God, and we should show that as well. Pray for scoffers. Pray for the scoffer in your own heart, but also those who are just radically opposed to the truth of God. Share God's wisdom with them. Share Christ with them. Love them and serve them. And how great would it be if scoffers would turn, their hard hearts would be softened, and they would believe in the wisdom of God. That's what Lady Wisdom wants here. That's why she's pleading with them. So she calls out to the simple ones, the scoffers, and lastly, the fool. And this is not so much another category as it is a summary word. The simple ones and the scoffers are foolish. They hate knowledge and truth. And this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Remember our definition. The fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord means that God is your highest priority, your deepest love, and your foundational trust. If that's true, that's the entrance to wisdom. If that's true, you cannot be content with being simple-minded. You can't be indifferent with knowing God. Because he's your highest priority. He's your deepest love. He's your foundational trust. If that's true, if you fear the Lord, then you can't be content with scoffing because you know God alone is worthy of worship. And we'll come back to verse 23 here. But what Lady Wisdom is saying is that all of this foolishness, it's a rejection of God's wisdom. But, verse 23, if you repent, you will receive grace. If you turn from your simple ways, if you turn from scoffing, if you turn from foolishness, God will show you grace. So the call of wisdom is a call of God's grace and compassion to the foolish. It's a testimony of his patience with those who are pushing him off. But his patience will not last forever. And that leads us to number two. We see the rejection of the fool. In verses 24 through 25, Lady Wisdom goes on to explain how the fool rejects wisdom. Because I've called and you refused to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. She's saying, listen, I've called out to you, but my call of wisdom has been met with deafening silence. They've heard the call. They've heard it with the physical ear. They've had the opportunity. They have the capacity, but they haven't taken it and applied it. 
They haven't heard it with spiritual ears. They've continued to build their house upon the, not upon the rock of God's word, but upon the unstable foundation of foolish living. And so now we might ask, okay, who would really reject this? If I was to say, hey, listen, do you want to die or do you want to live? You wouldn't be like, let me get back to you, right? But that's really what Proverbs is laying out for us, right? Do you want to pursue the way of life or do you want to pursue the way of death? And here we see the foolish choosing death every time. So why would someone reject this offer? The Apostle Paul is helpful here in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what he says. He explains where this comes from. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, here it is, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now let me pause there. What Paul is saying is both internally in the conscience of man, both externally in creation, all of us have a vision of God. We have this general revelation that a God who is there, but because of the sinfulness of our hearts, we suppress that truth. And listen to what he says in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now listen, Paul's not just talking about this group of scoffers over here or this group of simple-minded over here. He's talking about all of us in Romans 1. That's why we choose death over life. That's why we choose sin over God. That's why we choose foolishness over wisdom because our hearts are darkened. We're not neutral. We're not naturally out seeking the wisdom of God but having a hard time finding it. Instead, we're ungodly. We're We're turned inward on ourselves and we willingly suppress the truth of God. We're spiritually nearsighted. When I first moved to Massachusetts uh, from Georgia, I had to get a new license. So I thought, all right, go to the RMV, new license, pay the fee, boom. So I go in and and the lady says, great, you've got to take an eye test. So I put my head in the machine and uh, I look and I'm like, this machine's broken. I can't see And she's having me read off the stuff. And I'm telling her it's broken and she's laughing at me. She's like, it's not broken. You just can't see, right? And I thought, here's what I thought. I can see fine. When I'm reading, I have no issue seeing. When I'm looking at a computer screen, when I'm having a conversation with somebody, it's fine. Why? Because I was nearsighted. I, I didn't have a problem seeing things up close. Then I went and got the eye test and then I went and got the prescription and I got the glasses And I had two thoughts. My first was, how have I been driving (laughs) for this long? First thought. And then I realized, oh, the problem is not things up close. It's things far away. You see, what Lady Wisdom is saying here, what we'll see as we walk through these these few verses in a moment, is that foolishness leads you to only see in the moment. You cannot see ahead and see the effects of your foolishness. You're spiritually nearsighted. You can't look in the distance and see the ultimate consequences of your action. And you can't see what's coming, therefore you shrug your shoulders. You say it's really not that big of a deal 
if I'm simple-minded. It's really not that big of a deal if I'm a scoffer. It's really not that big of a deal if I don't take God's word very seriously. But Lady Wisdom saying, no, it's very, very serious. You can't put off the pursuit of God and his wisdom. You can't spiritually procrastinate. I think we all know what procrastination is, right? Probably have great examples from our college days. It's the action of delaying or postponing something. And there's a lot of different reasons that we do this. One is overconfidence. I don't need to study. I'm going to ace that test. Right? I, can, I can cram. If we put that in spiritual terms, I can follow God later in life. I can just coast for now, and then, and then I'll get serious. That's overconfidence. But by the way, I'm a pretty good person anyways. God will, God will understand. Right? We're overconfident, so we put off following God's wisdom. We also procrastinate because of fear. Not the godly fear of Proverbs 1.7, not reverential awe and worship, but fear of failure. Right? You put off that project because you know it's going to be difficult. You don't know if you can handle it. You put off major decisions because you're afraid that you're going to fail tough conversations. Spiritually, you think, I can't come to God because He's not going to accept me. I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. Even if He does accept me, I'm just going to Screw it up and he's going to reject me. And so what do you, you, you keep following God, the pursuit of God at arm's length. We also procrastinate because we're distracted. I'm so sorry I missed that meeting. I, I've been so busy I forgot to put it in my calendar. That may work in, in situations with one another, but can you imagine telling God that? As you stand before him, as we all will, saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I was so busy. I was distracted from pursuing you because of the busyness of my life. In what ways are you spiritually procrastinating in your life right now? Putting off the pursuit of God. Because what Lady Wisdom tells us here is that it's not just putting it off. It's blatant rejection of who God is. In what ways are you hearing God's word, but instead of putting it into practice, you're pushing it away? Lady Wisdom tells us that while, while God is patient, while He is compassionate, His patience is not endless. There will come a day when it's too late. That's the warning here. In other words, if you reject wisdom, wisdom will reject you. And this happens for us in two ways. Either we reject wisdom and we experience disaster in this life, or those who reject wisdom may on the outside look like life is going well, But eventually, as they stand before God in the next life, they'll experience disaster. Proverbs tells us in this life, if if we pursue folly and and reject wisdom, our relationships will be damaged by our foolishness, will hurt others, will be led astray and enticed by sin. And then when the storms come, verse 27, eventually they'll reveal that our foundation is sinking sand. will lead us to a miserable life. Or what's much worse and much more sure will experience that disaster for eternity. And that's ultimately what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 when he gives the illustration of a house built on a firm foundation and sinking sand. He's talking about God's just judgment. As Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it's appointed unto each one of us the day of our death, once to die, and then comes judgment. And if we reject God's truth, God's wisdom, on that day, He will reject us. 
This is what we see in verses 26 and 27. This is sobering here. Wisdom laughs, verse 26 and 27. I'll laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Calamity here refers to the sudden event that brings about great loss and destruction. The scoffer was once laughing at God's wisdom, but in the end, it's wisdom that stands and the scoffer perishes. Now this, is, this sounds harsh, doesn't it? Bruce Waltke, a commentator, he says, Truth has a harsh edge and wisdom does not dull it. Her shock tactics aim to persuade the young to turn to her. Listen, this verse isn't meant to teach us to celebrate the downfall of fools, but to acknowledge that wisdom will always triumph in the end over foolishness. God will always be victorious over sin. And that's a good thing. Wisdom laughs. Wisdom also doesn't listen. Look at verse 28. They'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me. See, Lady Wisdom was once calling out and pleading, but the foolish ignored her. Now there's this recognition that she was right all along. And at that staggering realization that they've made the mistake, they've been call, they, they start calling out for her. We were wrong. We're sorry. She says it's too late. This reminds me of the man who had a winning lottery ticket in 1995. Clarence Jackson in Connecticut won the lottery $5.8 million. There was only one problem. He didn't realize he had won. And he left the ticket at his dad's house. And he realized it about a year later. And he went and found the ticket frantically and took it in, hoping that he could get his $5.8 million. It's a nice payday. And they said, sorry, Clarence, you're three days late for the deadline. They didn't give him the money. And he spent, he spent years since, since 1995, trying to fight to get his $5.8 million. To reject wisdom is like having that winning lottery ticket and saying, you know what, I'm just going to push it to the side. I'll, I'll grab it later, but later may be too late. Wisdom will judge, verse 31 and 32. It says, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. And this is the end of the pursuit of folly. Right? She says, to reject wisdom is to pursue spiritual death. And it's not the kind of death in which you're the victim. Notice what verse 31 says. This is your own doing. You're simply eating the fruit of your way. Or as Galatians 6 says, you reap what you sow. Listen, this passage leads us to ask a very simple question this morning. Where do we stand with God? Are we pursuing Him or are we pursuing folly? Are you hungry for his wisdom or are you spiritually procrastinating, putting off following him? That's like giving away the winning lotto ticket and hoping you can cash it in later. It doesn't work that way. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that says, you know what, you can live for self now and God later. As Charles Spurgeon says on the matter, he says, delay is the devil's great net. 
All men and women mean to repent. Alas, they will repent one day that they did not repent at once. See, Proverbs 1 is telling us, listen, if there's breath in your lungs, then you are still a recipient of God's patient grace. You can heed the call of wisdom and turn to him. You don't have to reject it. Yes, there's dread for rejection, verse 32, but there's delight for those who answer the call of wisdom, verse 33. And that leads us to our final point, number three, the blessing of repentance. So we've heard this call of wisdom. We've been, I pray, we've been jolted by this strong warning of rejecting God. But the passage ends by pointing us once again to the grace and mercy of God. Verse 33 says, Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And then look again, back up at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. To listen isn't just to hear with a physical ear. It's not just to comprehend with your mind, but to let the word of God affect your heart and lead you to turn from foolishness toward God. That's what repentance means. This this is the phrase here for turn has this literal idea of going one way and turning in the other direction. And that's what wisdom is calling us to hear. But not just to turn away from sin and foolishness. If you're going to turn from something, you have to turn to something. This is a call to turn towards God, turn towards Christ. In fact, Proverbs 1 is a lot more about Christ than we may at first realize. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Colossians 2.3, he speaks of Jesus and says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The New Testament shows us, do you want to see wisdom? You look to Jesus. So we can look back at Proverbs 1 and say, it's not just this metaphorical figure of Lady Wisdom calling us. This is the wisdom of God, Christ, calling us to turn to Him and find true wisdom. How do we ensure that we're putting Lady Wisdom's advice into practice? How do you hear in such a way that builds your life upon a firm foundation? By repentance, by turning to Christ. This is one of the major factors that separates the wisdom of the world from the wisdom of God, right? You may look around and say, wait a second, Kevin, there are so many wise people who who don't love Jesus. And I would agree. I would say, yes, that's a common grace of God. There are so many people who are, are wise in business terms. They're wise financially. They're wise in how they conduct their lives. But true wisdom, remember, begins with the fear of the Lord. Therefore, true wisdom must always be marked by repentance. Now, What is repentance? That's a Christianese word. That's a church word. So listen how the London Baptist Confession defines it for us. It says, Repentance is a gospel grace in which those who are made aware by the Holy Spirit of the many evils of their sin by faith in Christ humble themselves for it with godly sorrow. And the confession goes on and says, Repentance must continue throughout our lives. Because of the body of death and its activities. So, it is everyone's duty to repent of each specific known sin or foolishness specifically. So to gain wisdom is not just to try harder. It's to turn. Now what does it mean to to continually repent? 
This doesn't mean that we become a Christian every day, right? Repentance is an entrance into the Christian life. We turn from our sin and believe in Christ and accept true wisdom. Then we spend the rest of our lives growing in the wisdom of God. But if that's going to happen, that means we who are followers of him, our lives need to be marked by continual repentance because we continually turn from him to foolishness. So what does it mean to continually repent? Here's an illustration I find helpful. You can imagine that repentance is like walking in one direction and then turning around. If I'm walking, to turn around is really not that hard, right? I just got to pivot and walk the other way, right? But imagine if you're on a bicycle, right? If you're, if you're riding a bike in one direction, it, it, you can turn around same, same kind of method, but it's going to take a little longer, right? You've got to turn or you can stop the bike, get off, pick it up, right? Now, if you're in a car, same process of turning around, but it's going to take even longer, You might even have to maneuver and find another way to turn back and head in the right direction. Now imagine you're driving a cruise ship. I know that's a big jump from car to cruise ship, but just bear with me. And if you're steering a cruise ship and you need to turn around, it's going to take a lot longer than when you're walking, than when you're riding a bike, than when you're driving a car. You're going to have to stop. You're going to have to turn. And it may even feel like you're just sort of sitting there, like nothing's happening. Now listen, as you evaluate the foolishness in your life, and as the Spirit gives you the ears to hear how we've been ignoring God's call to wisdom, some of those sins will be relatively easy to repent of, right? We'll stop and say, I'm going to turn this way and trust Jesus. But there are things that are going to be harder. It's going to be more like turning that bicycle or turning that car. And there are going to be things in your life that is going to be very difficult, like that cruise ship. And you've recognized your foolishness and you've started to turn, but it feels like you're sort of just standing there in the water. And when this happens, that's when you lean in to trusting God. That's when you're vulnerable with a healthy community. Right? That's when you need a place that will give you the gospel, will give you the safety, and will give you time. Because those are the recipes where true wisdom grow. And then God, who is so, so patient with those who turn, He will, by his grace, bring you back into the right course of wisdom. And listen, church, this is far better than the alternative. Look what these verses promise to those who repent. Verse 33. Instead of destruction, what do you receive? You receive security. The confidence that God is for you in Christ. He tells us you'll be put at ease, having the peace of God, knowing that he loves you and calls you his child. You will have... The Spirit of God, the very presence of God poured into you. And that Spirit of God will teach you and equip you to grow in all wisdom. That's the blessing of repentance. And as Jesus says in John 37, 7, 37 through 38, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the wisdom of God, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So not only do we receive wisdom, but we ourselves become fountains and conduits of wisdom for those around us. And so let's hear this call of Lady Wisdom. Let's hear this call of Christ to turn to Him in faith continually and without hesitation, building our lives not upon the sinking sands of foolishness, but on the, upon the solid rock of Jesus, our wisdom. Let's pray together.